Welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it's my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Never. Amen. Again, if you're a guest or if you're joining us online or listening to our podcast, we want to say welcome home. We're, we're glad that you're joining us here today. We've been in this series called The Real McCoy. We've been asking the question the last couple months is, what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Not what face or what mask do I put out there on Sunday morning or, or when I feel the need to. What does it mean to be a real, authentic follower of Jesus Christ? And we would say that's what our world is looking for. People who are really authentic and really genuine about following Jesus and what that means. Am I the real McCoy? And we've been doing the daily devotionals, and I pray those have been a blessing for you. And we're going to have the rest of this week, we're going to have those. Um, and I pray that you've been watching those on our, our website. You can go to our website. It's also on Facebook and Instagram. And, and just continuing to, to read those because we want to equip and we want to empower you to learn what it means to actually be the real McCoy. And next week, I'm so excited, we're going to be wrapping up our series next week. And I can't think of a better way to do that than what we're going to be doing with our event here at Cheers we're going to be hosting. And, and what a great way to do that. We're going to have communion together as a church body. And then we're going to stick around and we're going to, we're going to bless our community with that. And I, I'm so excited to do that as well. And, and today... As we kind of set that up, um, we're going to talk about something that I think is one of the key points of what it means to really be the real McCoy. You know, we've talked about our emotions. We've talked about our minds. We've talked about our relationships. And, and what we're going to talk about today is so important that I want you to understand a very clear fact about this. 15%, 15% of everything Jesus Christ ever said was about the topic we're going to talk about today. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, everything that's in red, usually when Jesus talks in the Bible, it's in red. Everything that's in red, if you add up everything and you count a percentage of that, 15% of everything Jesus said was about this topic. Just to give you some perspective, it's more than heaven, more than hell, more than sin, more than forgiveness, all of those combined. Do you think this is probably something we should focus on? If Jesus said more, 15% of everything he said was about this, I think it's important. So, but before we do that, before I let you know what that's going to be, we need to establish something. We need to establish a very key fact about what it means to be the real McCoy. And I would say this really, if I could boil this whole series down to one statement or one verse, here it is. And it's going to be 1 Samuel 16, 7. It's going to be on the screen behind me. And I'd like us to read this out loud together. If you're watching online, play along. I know it's weird to talk to your screen, but God can hear you. But let's, I want to read this out loud together because I think this really is the point we want to make. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. When we talk about what it means to be the real McCoy, we're not talking about what we present to other people and what other people can see. Because if we can be honest, we can fool other people, can't we? We can put on a mask, we can be deceitful. And if we're honest, the person we deceive the most is probably ourselves. But God looks at the heart. See, this is what Jesus said. He said, listen, if you look at another person and you have lust in your heart after them, it's the same thing as if you committed adultery to them. See, if, if you were to go out and you were to sleep with somebody else's wife or somebody else's husband, you know, the outward world would see that and they would think that would be a, a terrible thing. But Jesus said, but I know your heart. 
And if you're thinking about it or you're playing with fire or, or lusting after them, it's like you already did it, seeing the eyes of God. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you speak a, a wrong word, if you gossip about someone else, it's the same thing as if, in God's eyes, as if you killed them. Now, if you murdered somebody, that would be a big deal. We wouldn't want that. But in God's eyes, that's really what it means. Because why? Because God sees your heart, doesn't he? If you hold on to unforgiveness, again, Jesus said, if you forgive other people, I will forgive you. And we might put on a front and say it's okay, but, but if we don't truly forgive them, Matthew 25 is pretty clear. And, and it's a verse that, that I struggle with every time I talk about it. Because Jesus says many on that day, not a few people, not a, not a small group, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? Didn't I do this? Didn't I go to church? Didn't I say, didn't I read the Bible? And Jesus says very plainly, depart from me for I never knew you. See, God judges our heart. We, we, we can fool other people, we can fool ourselves, but God looks at our heart. And, and here's the thing, I don't want that to be a discouragement to you. I want that to be an encouragement to you. Because here's how I see that. God sees everything. God knows everything in my heart, and he still loves me anyway. He knows every evil, wicked thought that I've ever had in my heart, and he still loves me, and he still accepts me, and he still wants to have a relationship with me. Can I be honest with you? There's some people in my life that I've done things to, actually done things to, that don't treat me the same way. But look at what my God does. He loves us. He accepts us. And, and here's the problem we have. We chase human approval, don't we? We'd rather have the praise and the applaud and the acceptance and the approval of man who can see the outside when God sees the inside, and that's the only thing we need to care about. God still loves us, and he still accepts us. And if I could just boil it down to one point here, guys, to be the real McCoy means we need to find comfort and confidence in God's love and approval. Because when we do, we won't chase mankind's approval anymore. I spend a lot of my life chasing the approval of other people. And if I can just say it, really even in the last year, I don't feel like I've figured it out or I've arrived yet, but I, I just got to be honest with you. I don't give a rip what you think about me anymore <laughs> because I know what God says about me. And, and I can't tell you the freedom that that has. And if you're not there yet, we'll get there today because here's the thing, and, and I'm not trying to minimize this or, or, or lower this down. People, if you take a stand for Christ, it means people might reject you. That's a very real thing. There might be people in your life that will reject you. There will be people, I'll guarantee you, that will mock you. They'll make fun of you, maybe not to your face, but definitely behind your back. They may curse you. They may, they may actually like stand up and speak out against you in a negative way. And, and here's the one that I think hurts the worst. They might misunderstand you. You might say something and have your intentions right and have your right with God, but how they hear it, how they perceive it, they might completely misunderstand what you say and it might d d break that relationship. But if that happens, I, I want to give you some hope. They did the same thing to Jesus. <laughs> the exact Jesus was rejected. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was cursed. Jesus was misunderstood. And, and can I just take it a step further? Jesus was God in human skin. See, you and I can still get it wrong, can't we? We can still struggle, and even though our heart might be right, we might act wrong. Jesus did everything 100% according to God's will, and they still did that to him. How much more are they going to do it to you and I? How much more do we need to rely on God's word and his love? Because, again, God looks at the heart. People judge us by outward appearances, and we need to stop chasing that. And church, if I could just get personal with you, until you settle that, you can't be the real McCoy. Until you can be okay with what God says about you and be confident in what his word says, that's what it means to be the real McCoy. 
But so many times we waste time chasing human approval. So as long as we have that established, <laughs> we're going to go on to talk about this topic that I mentioned before. That 15% of everything Jesus said was about your finances. 15% of everything that's in red in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have to deal with your finances. Why? Because Jesus understood that that would be the number one competition in our lives against our relationship with God. Against being, can I just say it? Against being the real McCoy. In 1 Timothy 6, 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Can I just sum that up for you? We chase human approval. We use our finances to try to get approval from other people. We want to have a nice house, don't we? And if we're being honest, if we're really pulling back the layers, it's not because I want to be comfortable. I want to have a nice place for my kids because we can have that in like one room, can't we? People did it for hundreds of years. You know why we want to have a nice house? Because we want to impress other people. We want them to think, oh, look at us. Look at how great we are. We do this with the way we dress. We talked about that in this series, how, how so many times we try to dress for human approval and, and how we look and, and the clothes we wear and we judge other people by how they look and how they dress, don't we? We buy the nice car, we, we get our hair done, we, we spend our time on our makeup. Guys, I'm not talking just about the ladies because we got other things too, don't we, right? We can go fishing or what, whatever you spend your money on, you can do it because you want to impress other people. Or if I could just say it this way, what I think Paul's saying here, there's a void that we're trying to fill. There's an emptiness inside of us that we try to fill with stuff and buying more things. And the problem is only God can fill that. Only my God can fill the place where so many times we try to fill it with finances. And the very next verse, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, this verse, I would contend, is the most misquoted verse in all of Scripture. Maybe you've heard it said, money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's not what it says. Read it again. It's the love of money. Not money itself. It's the love of money that can be bad for us. Money itself is not bad. And if you've been part of our daily devotions, you might have read this this week where we talked about money being a tool. And we said money is kind of like fire. Think about fire for a second. Fire can be a great benefit. Fire can keep us warm. It can cook our food. It's really kind of how we became civilized, stationary people. But fire can also be bad, can't it? Fire can kill you. It can destroy your house. It's the same thing with money. Fire or money is not good or bad in and of itself. It's how we use it or how we misuse it that can make it bad. See, I think there's this idea that if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that you have to be, you know, Mother Teresa, and you've got to be a pauper, and you can't be, have any money. I don't agree with that at all. That's not even biblical, and I can show you that. And, and many of us, if we're being honest, are kind of like Tevia and Fiddler on the Roof. You remember Tevia, Fiddler on the Roof, the great classic play? This is what Tevia says. He says, if money is the world's curse, may the Lord smite me with it, and may I never recover. <laughs> Can I get an amen? That's what we think, right? Okay. That would be great, right? See, it's not money that we have the problem with. It's the love of it. And if I could just take it a step further, it's not really money we love. It's the stuff we can buy with it, right? We want the house. We want the car. We want the nice clothes. That's what we want with the money. It's the stuff. And we use that because we want to prove that we're stable. 
We want to prove that we're successful. We want to prove that we're in control. If I could just go back to our point to say, we want people to judge us by what they see. We want people to think that about us, and we use our money to get that, but God judges us by our heart. Now, before we keep going, I, I got to pause here for a moment, because you might be thinking, oh, okay, this is a message on giving. <laughs> oh, boy, should have missed this Sunday. If you're watching online, you might be tuning out. Don't do that yet. See, see, here's the thing. When it comes to giving in the church, people stop at nothing. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. I'll try <laughs> when it comes to giving in the church, most people will stop at nothing. Get it? <laughs> okay, that's where I go. So, so here's what I want to help you with this. So, so this, is a, this is a different take on what we've talked about before. And here's what I want to say. Uh, I'm going to say this statement, but we're going to unpack some things. But this is what God's word says. God's word is my authority. It's how I base my life on. And you've heard me preach this before. If you've been here before, we talked about what God's word says. And God's word says the first 10% belongs to God. The first 10% of everything I get, I return to God. We call that a tithe. Okay. Now, for those of you in the room or watch online, you might be like half the people are love math and half the people hate it. Okay, that's just kind of factual, right? So if you're one of these math people, I need your help because we're going to help our non-math friends with some math, okay? So my math people, I need your help. Okay, if I have $10, okay, $10, what is 10% of $10? Thank you, math people. Okay, get this? Okay, so now we're going to keep going. If I have $100, what is 10% of $100? $10. See what we're doing here? We're just dropping a zero. Let's keep going, okay? If I have $1,000, what's 10% of $1,000? $100. There you go. Getting a little harder, though, isn't it? <laughs> we'll take it one step further. If I have $10,000, what's 10% of $10,000? Anybody know? 1,000, right? 10% is one. You just dropped a zero. That's where you're at. So it's just math, right? Now, math is, that's not the heart of math, right? We just dropped a zero. That's 10% is what I make. That's what a tithe is. Now, I want to ask a question. I don't want anybody to answer out loud. I'm just asking between you and God. How are you doing with that, church? Well, where, where are you at with that? Can I tell you where the average American is? Average American, and I'm not saying this to the person who shows up on Sunday. I'm talking about the average person who says, I'm a committed believer, follow Jesus Christ. God's word is my authority. The average is 2.5%. See the problem? And, and here's what I want to say about that too. I believe after COVID, I think those numbers are going to get worse because I know giving in a lot of churches has gone down dramatically. And I haven't seen the numbers for this year, but I bet when they come out, I bet it's going to be less than 2%. See, see here's what I want to say about that too. And before we get too far in this, I, I want to stop and, and just, just back up for a minute. Um, this is not a message on giving. It's not. But, but I, I do have to say this. Here's what I want to tell you. I, in planning this church for the last three years, I just want to tell you something because I love you. I've made a lot of mistakes. I have. I've made a lot of mistakes in planning this church. But I want to say this too. I have no regrets. Here's what I mean by that. I love where we're at right now. And everything that we've done through this church has got us to where we're at right now. And I love where we're at. So if I could go back and change something, I wouldn't because it wouldn't get us to where we're at. You see where I'm going with that? But I've made a lot of mistakes in this church. And here's one of the things that I... I would say was a mistake. I used to try, when I would preach this message on giving, I used to try to convince you to tithe. That, that was my heart. I was like, I'm going to try to convince you that this is an okay thing. And, and here's how I did that. I have scripture. I could bury you in scripture. I have all kinds of scripture in God's word that I could show about tithing. I could do that. I, we've shown videos. I've had some incredible speakers who are far better 
far gifted communicators than I am speak on this topic and share on this. I've done that. I, I've, I've done demonstrations. Did I mention that I used to be a kid's pastor? <laughs> so I got visual demonstrations out the wazoo that I can do. And I've done visual demonstrations on, on what it means to tithe and how to do that tithe. And I just want to tell you something. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not. Because here's the thing. My goal is not to convince you anymore. I, I'm not going to come up here and I'm not going to try to convince you that tithing is what God says. Because here's the thing I want you to understand in church. This might hurt a little bit. If I have to try to convince you, um, that probably just tells me where your heart's at. And I'm not going to do that anymore. And I love Pastor Roger Green with all my heart. And that guy has been a huge blessing in my life ever since before we planted this church and all the way through. And I'll never forget a conversation I was having with Roger Green about talking about tithing. And he made this statement. And he said, listen, he said, it's interesting as soon as people really fully commit their lives to Jesus Christ, he says, it's amazing how you don't have to convince them about tithing anymore. Now, don't get mad at me. Pastor Roger said that, okay? So if you have met, I'll give you his number. You can call him this week. Don't call me, okay? But I, I think there's a powerful statement in saying that, isn't it? Because here's what we want to do. We talked about it. We want to hold on to it. And so, so here's my goal. I'm not trying to convince you anymore, but there's a second reason that we need to talk about, church. Okay, we need to talk about that. There's a second reason why I'm not going to convince you to tithe anymore. And, and if you're watching online, you're thinking, thank God, woo, this is my favorite church. Okay, I'm not going to try to convince you on that anymore because here's what I want you to understand, something very important. Elaine and I, we stopped tithing a long time ago. Now you might say, oh, whoa, hey, hypocrite, right? Pick up the rocks, come after me, pitch right. Oh, hold on. <laughs> Elaine and I stopped tithing a long time ago. Here's what I mean by that. So here's what I used to do. I'm just talking about me. I used to sit down and say, okay, here's our income, here's our finances, okay, and here, oh, here's what a tithe will be. So I set that, I take that 10%, okay, now I'm going to return to God. Now look at me, aren't I super Christian? I'm so spiritual, I'm tithing, isn't this great? Remember what I said before, God looks at what? Your heart, not what you do. God's not impressed when you tithe. It doesn't impress him. God looks at your heart. And so here's what I'm, and I'm just telling you what God did in my life, okay? God said, you know, Jeff, so I came down. I died on a cross for you. I've blessed you. I've redeemed your marriage. I saved it from the brink. I've called you into ministry. I've blessed you to be a pastor of an amazing church and, and I'm doing all these amazing things in your life. And so what you're telling me is you want to calculate what the bare minimum is and check that box and move on. That's your heart, Jeff. Ouch. That one hurt. So I'm going to tell you again, Elaine and I stopped tithing a long time ago. You know what we do? We give more. Not a lot more. I'm not saying that to, oh, look at Pat. No, don't, don't, don't do that because that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not saying that to impress you. I'm just telling you the journey that I've been on. And here's what I want to say about that, too. We have a goal. I have a goal. I have a goal in our family that eventually we're going to live on 50% of our income, and the other 50% of our income, we're going to return back to God's church. That's a goal that I have. So a lot of pastors, I know, try to get more money out of their church. I'm going to see how I can invest more money in the church. I'm just telling you the journey I am. I'm not saying that to impress you or try to make you. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say, listen, that's my heart. This is what God says about my heart. Now, before we move on, and we are... <laughs> there's a couple legitimate questions that we need to talk about. And these aren't negative heart. These are just legitimate questions that have come up before. And I want to I just address them before we move on to what we're really going to get into. But does my tithe just have to go to the church? Okay, I get the 10% pastor, but I want to give 2% here and 4% there and 4% there. Here's my response to that is you're still in control, aren't you? 
That's what you're saying to God. You're still in control, and God sees your heart. And what if I want to give something else to that? You can give over and above. We call that an offering. Every week we talk about our tithes and our offerings. You can give over and above that. And again, I just want to give you an example of that. So Elaine and I, we've talked about this before. Um, there is an orphanage in Liberia that we've supported for several years. We have a personal connection there. And, and we, we, we return to, we, we, we use part of our offerings to go there as well. Now, again, I don't say that to impress you. I just say, listen, the amount is not that impressive. If I told you the amount, you wouldn't be. That's not that impressive. But, but it's the heart. See, that's our heart because we would say, we want to do more than that. So you can do more than that as well. So here's what I want to do. Okay, now I'm going to move forward. <laughs> if you got your note sheet, take them out. On the back side, they're blank. I'm, I'm going to give you what, what, what God, I feel, is calling us to talk about today. And, and here's two things we must never do with our money. Because, again, this isn't a message on tithing, so please just, just listen to what we're going to go with this here. Here's two things we must never do with our money. And here's the first thing. We can't love it. We can never love our money. There's a major person who was a passenger on board the Titanic. And he survived. And when he survived, one of the things that he shared is that when he left the Titanic as it was sinking, he left $300,000 in cash in his room. That's a pretty good chunk of change today. This is 1912. Imagine $300,000 getting sunk. Not only that, all of his wife's very expensive jewelry and a box of securities went down to the bottom of the Atlantic with the Titanic. Listen to what Major Pershing said. At that moment, the money seemed like a mockery to me. So I left it all and I grabbed three oranges. <laughs> I love that picture, right? When it's on the line, when everything's going down, what really, what really, really matters? Do you love your money? Look at what Jesus says in Luke 16. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I heard this quote said, a money can buy you a bed, but it cannot buy you sleep. It can buy you some books, but it can't replace your brain. It can buy you a house, but it will never build your home. It can buy you laughter, but it will never give you real joy. It can buy you a crucifix, but it will never be able to purchase your salvation. So the question I want to ask you today is how are you spending your money, church? Because everything that we do with our money says to God what matters in my life. I've heard it said this way, if you show me your checkbook, I'll show you what really matters to you and how you spend it. Do I love money? Because we can't do that. Here's the second thing. And again, I'd like you to write these down. Two things we can never do with money. The first one is we can't love it. The second was we can't live for it. We can't love it. We can't live for it. You know, there was a husband and a wife that were having an argument, and the husband made this statement to his wife. He says, if it weren't for my money, this house wouldn't be here at all. To which the wife responded, if it weren't for your money, I wouldn't be here either. <laughs> and all God's women said, no, don't say that, okay. <laughs> money, do we live for it? The 20th century philosopher uh, by the name of Madonna, and you might say Madonna wasn't a philosopher. I disagree. I think she's a wonderful philosopher. Not always agree with what she says, right? But what, she, what did she say? She says, I'm a, we're living in a material world, and I am a what? Material girl. That's right. We live, our culture lives for money. What can we get? What can we say? How can we get more? That's what we've been trained to live for. And church, we can't do that if we want to be the real McCoy. Every single person in this room is one heartbeat away from losing everything. 
Not one of us is guaranteed tomorrow. And church, what are you living for? We just had a very clear example of this in our family. Uh, my wife Elaine got a call this week, one of those calls that you get. She had an uncle, and uh, he went upstairs to use the bathroom, had a massive heart attack, and died. Never came out of that bathroom. A complete shock, just a total shock to the family and to his wife. And it was just another reminder to me. Not one person in this room is guaranteed tomorrow. Every single one of us are one heartbeat away. And so this is what I want to understand. We don't want to live for anything that we can lose. I'm going to say that again. Never live for something that you can lose. I've heard people talk about, oh, I want to live for my health and, and be in good health. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. But guess what? Your health is going to go away. At some point, your body is going to wear out. I've heard people say, oh, my, my spouse is my, my, my love, my life. Everything about my spouse is my life. You can't live for your spouse. As much as I love Elaine, eventually she's going to leave me, either by death or by choice. And it's, it might be me too, right? Every single one of us, we can lose our marriage. We can lose our kids. We can lose our work. Can I just say it? We can lose our finances. I don't know if you put your trust in the stock market for your 401k. If you do, Godspeed with that because it can go like that. Never live for something you can lose, especially our money. Proverbs 23.5 says, Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. I don't know if you know this, but because of this verse, you know on every U.S. dollar bill there's an eagle. Did you know that? And it's because of this verse, because it wants to remind us that every dollar you have is eventually going to fly to Washington, D.C. <laughs> no, I just made that up. That's not true. <laughs> but it can be, right? Everything we have is losing. We could lose it. So we can't love our money. We can't live for it. But what I want you to do instead, I want you to go to Luke chapter 16. Go ahead and turn with there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to get one. Um, we got a free version, uh, free app on version um, that you can download and uh, go to your Bible. But in Luke chapter 16... Jesus is going to tell us a story. And, and as a result of this story, Jesus is going to give us some pretty clear perspective on how God views our money. So Luke chapter 16, and before we get into the first verse, I'm going to give you the first point. How does God see our money? Everything belongs to him. Everything that we have belongs to God. And some people struggle with that. They say, well, I've worked hard. I've earned this. This is mine. Well, who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the eyes to see, the hands to work? See, everything we have belongs to God. In Luke 16, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now, I want to pause there and say, make this statement. We are all managers of what God has given us. Every single person, every single thing that you have been given, you are a manager that God has given it to you. And we will give an account for everything that we've done and how we spent that. We don't own anything. And again, if you struggle with that, I'm going to go to Job chapter 1, verse 21. This is what Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Everything we have belongs to God, and he will take it back someday. There's nothing we're going to take out of this world with us. Here's the second thing, how God sees money. So God knows that everything belongs to him, but God sees money as a test. Money is a test. Let me ask you a question. Would you lend your car to somebody who's been drinking? Probably not. Would you let a person who struggles with gambling and you know that this has been a problem in their lives, would you give them your credit card and say, hey, hold this for me? Probably not. 
If you had a friend who, can I just say it, is a slob and, and just, you know, makes um, messes everywhere they go, would you let them come stay in your house while you're on vacation? <laughs> Probably not. Let me just say it again. Neither would God. See, money is a test to see how we will handle things. Look at what Luke 16, verse 10, I'm going to go to. These are the words of Jesus, not mine. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Can I just say it again? God looks at our heart. God says, hey, how and where will we use the blessing that he's given us? And money is the number one competition for our relationship with God. So money is a test we need to go. You know, there's been studies that have been done, and this has been repeated multiple times, where they studied people who won the lottery, and they've also taken people who've had a major physical disability, a traumatic disability. They've taken both those people, and they've done a happiness satisfactory study. And one year afterwards, the people who have won the lottery and the people who have had a major physical disability one year later, every time they've done this study, the disabled person has had a higher satisfactory rating than the lottery winner. And you might say, well, that's, that, well that doesn't make sense. Well, or let me try at least. <laughs> no, it's not. See, here's what I want to say. Why would God disable you? I've heard many people pray that. God, just, I pray that I just win the lottery. If I just win the lottery, everything would be okay. No, it wouldn't. I could sit up here and I could tell you story after story of, of athletes or movie stars or other professionals who have made all kinds of money and it made their life miserable and they lost it all. You might say, how could somebody lose all that money? Oh, it's pretty easy to do. It's very easy to do. Because again, if you're only making 30000 a year and you're blowing through that and you're spending more than that, it's going to happen the same way. You're just going to keep adding zeros on it. And your screw-ups are going to get worse and bigger. See, why would God disable you? Part of the problem is we live in a when-then mindset. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. We'll say, when I, then I will. And I just want to say this, and this might hurt church. No, you won't. If you're not doing it now, you won't do it then. If you say, God, as soon as I get this job, or as soon as I get more, then I'm going to start. No, you won't because you're not doing it now. What are the things you need to do now so you can be faithful with then? Again, are you faithful with what God has already given you? Here's the third one. Everything I know belongs to him. Money is a test, but here's the third one you can write down. Money is a tool. Now, when you settle those first two things in your heart, when you realize everything I have is from God, I'm just a manager of what God has given me, and I realize that money is a test to see how I'm going to handle it then you start to recognize money is a tool. And a tool is only effective when it's used correctly. For example, you can use a sledgehammer to kill a fly. Okay, That's a tool that you can use to kill. And you will kill the fly. But you're probably going to do some more damage too, won't you? It's the same thing with money. Money is a tool. Money is a tool to use to bless, to provide, and care for everyone. Money is not a tool to be built up, to store up, and spend on selfish desires. Going back to what Jesus said in verse 2, remember the dishonest manager um, who hadn't managed his funds very well? Verse 2 says, so this boss called the dishonest manager in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. 
The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master has taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me in to their homes. And if you know the rest of the story, what happens is the manager calls these debtors in, and he basically says, okay, what do you owe my, my master? And they tell him, and he cuts a bunch off the top and says, here, now write down that you only owe this much. He's getting fired anyway, and he realized the value of creating relationships who would help him. And, and the interesting thing that Jesus talks about here is Jesus actually says the manager actually praises the dishonest manager. The owner praises the dishonest manager. But look at why in verse 8. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use this worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal life. Now, those are some strong words, church. We need to understand that money is a tool, not a treasure. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what this guy understood. I'm going to use this money not for my benefit, not for my gain. Remember we talked about this last week in our relationships? The main focus of my life is who? Me. That's my default mode. That's my default setting. But God wants to say, no, money is a tool that you can use to bless other people. And it's not a treasure we should store up. So how do you use the tool, that, the money that God has given you? And this is what I love about our church, is because we understand this, we get this. We're not a very large congregation, but for the history of this church, you have been faithful in understanding this principle. And church, I, again, I just want to say thank you, and I'm so proud of you for doing that. And understanding that. And because of that, we can be a blessing. And, and every month, you guys know this, every month we support Pathway Shelter for the Homeless. Out of, out of what you return to God, we say we want to be committed to this ministry. We do the same thing for Zoe Care. We also are, are using that for Webster Elementary and different events we've done there as well. Part of our Celebrate Network, we talked about earlier Liberia and how that's a country that we're investing in. And, and we've been part of a lot of things to do that as well. And, and our Celebrate Network of planning churches. Last week we talked about Casey and Amanda, who've planted a church down in Omaha, and we're a part of that. We're a part of supporting that. Why? Because money is a tool, not a treasure. It's not for me to collect and use and, and share that, because again, God sees our heart. And, and just to kind of close this up for you in Luke 16, I want to I go to the 14th verse, because this is something I think that is missed in this story. Luke 4, 16, verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows what? Your hearts. What people highly value, God see is detestable in God's sight. Church, I believe with all my heart that Jesus would say the same thing to us in the United States of America today. We are so, so blessed in this country. We have so much that we've been given. And yet to whom much is given, much is required. And we need to change how we see our money. And we need to think about how God sees it. And I'm going to come back all the way to the beginning because Jesus just said it right here. God looks at your heart. It's not your actions. It's not your actions that, that impress God. It's what's in your heart. And we can fool other people and we can fool ourselves. We can't fool God. So how do you see your money? Do you love it? Are you living for it? Or do you see it how God sees it? 
Do you understand the fact that everything belongs to God? I got nothing when I came to this world. I'm taking nothing with me. It's all his. I'm just a manager. It's a test that we've been given to see how are we doing with that test? How are we handling the finances that God has given us? But most importantly, it's a tool. It's not a treasure for us to collect. It's a tool that God's given us to use. How can we use that to bless other people and bring more into his kingdom? Let's pray. God, I thank you that we live in the richest country that has ever existed in human history. Not one of us in this room got to decide that. You decided that for us. And God, we are so blessed and fortunate. And even the people who struggle the hardest in this country are still far better off than so many people in the world. But yet, God, when I look around, I see a lot of miserable, unhappy people. And if the goal in life is just to get as much as you can, can all you get and sit on your can, then we're doing a pretty poor job of that, Lord. And it feels like there's something more. And we know from your word and from, your, from the promises that you give in your scripture, God, that there is more. And if our focus is just on our treasure and how we can build them up here on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, it's going to be empty. But Jesus, you said instead, build up treasures for yourself in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God, part of being the real McCoy is understanding that my heart is in your kingdom. Therefore, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I use my money as a tool? Why wouldn't I recognize that it's all yours anyway? And why wouldn't I do the test of saying, okay, God, how can I be a blessing? How can I bless? God, forgive me and forgive those of us who are listening that where we, we clench that fist and we say, oh, I don't know, I want to hold on to that. And God, I just, I'm excited for what you're doing in our church right now. And I'm excited for the people who've taken that steps of faith to do that and growing in that. Lord, if there's anybody in this room or in the sound of my voice watching online or a podcast who haven't yet taken that step of faith, God, I just pray that they would do that. And, 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 and see that and see what you can do with that, God. Because, God, it ultimately comes down to a heart issue. <laughs> and, and if we haven't settled that question that you're our authority and God's words are authority, God, we're going to struggle with that. So I pray that we would get our heart right and serve you. And God, when we do that, so many things in our lives are going to, our, our thinking, our emotions, our relationships, can I just say it, our finances, are going to come into the proper perspective that you want us to be. And when we as your church get that right and do that right, Lord, the world looks at that and they say, that's what I want to be a part of. That's what it means to be the real McCoy. So God, I thank you so much. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. You can check out more content on our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, at Celebrate Yankton. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it and share with others. God bless.